Greetings to everyone around the world, and thank you for joining me on this special edition of Veritas Radio. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. Ten years ago, what you're about to hear was a truth that was convenient to ignore. But in light of recent events and media coverage of this scandal, ready or not, we have to face the reality. As a parent, I can tell you without any shadow of a doubt, we can no longer afford to turn a blind eye. As usual, if you want to listen to this entire interview and all of our material, all you have to do is go to VeritasRadio.com and join the Veritas family. You'll receive your login immediately. And if not, it's because your ISP house is blocked. Just send us an email and we'll take care of you. But why this out-of-schedule Veritas episode, you ask? Because it's absolutely necessary. Let me give you some background. Almost 10 years ago, I conducted an interview that to this day, those who dare to listen to it continue writing to me saying they had no idea of what was and is still happening all around us. But you know, so-called professionals are advocating to label pedophilia as a sexual orientation or mental disorder and not a crime. Remember, in order to be effective, truth must penetrate like an arrow, and that is likely to hurt. According to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, roughly 800,000 children are reported missing each year in the United States. That's roughly 2,000 per day. By the way, I don't believe for a minute that Jeffrey Epstein died. This is just my humble opinion. I strongly believe that Epstein, being that he was a spy for a foreign government, knew exactly how to cover himself. Just like you will hear on the following interview, people of power are usually subverted so they can be used later. If Epstein had the holy grail when it comes to information about the most powerful members of government and the private sector, in essence, the world's elite, I am willing to guarantee he had a dozen or so dead man switches in the event he went to prison or died. Cameras on his prison cell were turned off. He was taken off suicide watch, and the guard in charge fell asleep. I believe he died as much as I believe Osama bin Laden was buried in the Arabian Sea. All it takes is for another false flag to occur to distract the population from Epstein and company. In the meantime, we'll leave this episode here for you. You can no longer afford to ignore the facts. Sorry for the long intro, but I had to set the stage for you. Thank you. Tonight, Veritas steps into uncharted territory with our special guest, Nick Bryant. My name is Nick Bryant, and I'm the author of The Franklin Scandal, a story of power brokers, child abuse, and betrayal. The book is about an interstate pedophile network that flew children from coast to coast and pandered them to the rich and powerful. The ring was nearly exposed in 1990, but its uncovering had the potential to produce seismic political aftershocks. So the FBI, the Department of Justice, and the Secret Service went into a full court press to immaculately cover up the scandal. I've spoken to several of the victims who were part of this pedophile network, and they've all conveyed horrific tales of abuse and betrayal. Unfortunately, the very officials that have pledged to protect children from the depravity of evil men were the very officials who covered this pedophile network up. 
When I started shopping this story around, I was met with tremendous amounts of skepticism. And finally, one day I told an editor that if a journalist came to him in 1965 and told him that Jagger Hoover was a closet homosexual and he was blackmailing Martin Luther King, the editor would have laughed the journalist right out of his office. There are some stories that are just so implausible and so exquisitely covered up that they can only be captured through a post-mortem. And this is one of those stories. Boystown was supposed to help us, not destroy us. What's wrong with them? Well, they have to pick on kids. He took my dignity away. He hurt my self-esteem, my self-pride. I put needles in my arm every fucking day. I drink every day just to hide it. Larry King was the facilitator. That was the man that was in charge. I mean, we flew with him on the trips, had flown to Chicago, was in a hotel room. I was dressed in a negligee. There were, I believe, prominent men, a lot of young boys at this hotel performing certain things sexually with other men and men ejaculated or masturbated in front of me. All the kids that I've talked to discussed that they were flown around uh, on small planes and I have hundreds of receipts. This one is going to Washington, D.C. He would fly us to uh, nice places or people's houses. There would be gentlemen there they would like things done to them sexually, or they would like to do things to me sexually. Some of the parties, when they started off, were straight political-type parties with no sex. So you were in the White House? Yes. How did you gain access? Well, I came down with uh, Larry King. What and time of night? It was usually around uh, midnight, and it was kind of a, a gift for our services that we were doing. And then when some of the men had left, some of the politicians had left, the ones that had planned on engaging in some type of sexual activity, that would come after the party. Heat, heat things, hot things, you know, poked at you and stuck in you, you know, fruit, squash, you know, huge squash, you know, that big around, you know, stuck into you, into your ass, you know. You know, and they made us stand there naked and touch each other, like, you light cigarettes, and as soon as you get burning, you just drop them down between your arms and, you know, let it, let it burn. You know, it's on film someplace. They treated the allegations that I made about the people who abused me almost like a joke. For some reason, they had to send a signal to every kid who was a potential witness. A signal so loud and clear, if you dare to come forward, if you dare to talk, watch what happens. The anxiety level is almost unbearable at times. I think his civil rights have been violated unbelievably. I feel so bad about it because of what they made me do. These are all the people I've looked for. No one really cares about them. These are throwaway kids. It's a web of intrigue that starts at our Holy of Holies, Boys Town, Nebraska, spreads out like a spider web to Washington, D.C. And the centerpiece of the entire web is the use of children for sex and drug dealing, the compromising of politicians, the compromising of businessmen, the worst of all, the corruption of key institutions of government that have the duty and responsibility to make sure these things never happen. This is not your traditional Veritas show. We not only seek the truth, but also justice. 
Nick Bryant's writing has recurrently focused on the plight of disadvantaged children in the United States. And he's been published in numerous national journals, including the Journal of Professional Ethics, Journal of Applied Developmental Psychology, Journal of Social Distress and Homelessness, Journal of Healthcare for the Poor and Underserved, and Journal of School Health. He's the co-author of America's Children, Triumph of Tragedy, Addressing the Medical and Developmental Problems of Lower Socioeconomic Children in America. His mainstream and investigative journalism has been featured in Gear, Playboy, The Reader, and Salon. What made me connect with Nick Bryant, in addition to his bravery, was his advocacy, concern, and heartfelt empathy for children, especially the disadvantaged and challenged. Tonight, we'll be discussing Nick's latest book, The Franklin Scandal, a story of power brokers, child abuse, and betrayal. And directly from New York City, I would like to introduce Nick Bryant. Hello, Nick, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Good, Mel. I'm glad to be here. It's my pleasure. Nick, as we always do on this show, because we have two hours, and you have a book that's over 600 pages, I would like to encapsulate as much as we possibly can. Give us some background on what was the moment where you said, I have to do something about this. Well, it's kind of strange. I came about uh, the Franklin scandal in kind of a circuitous route. And uh, if one keeps their mind open, you never really know where it's going to lead you. And uh, I was uh, writing or I was going to write a story on the occult for uh, Mainstream Magazine. And uh, I started looking into the occult, and uh, I eventually came across a U.S. Customs report on a cult called the Finders. And uh, that, what is conveyed in that customs report is quite ominous. Um, there was a group called the Finders, and they were obviously into some very strange uh, rituals, according to this U.S. Customs report. And there was two Finders and six children, um, really neglected children, in a park in Tallahassee. And uh, some concerned citizens called the Tallahassee Police Department. And um, the Tallahassee Police Department responded to the call, and they found two members of the finders who were well-dressed in a white, they were driving a white van, and there were six kids that were just, they looked really heavily abused. They they looked like ragamuffins, and a social services uh, employee would say that uh, one of the children showed signs of sexual abuse. So the cops didn't, the Tallahassee cops didn't like the looks of this at all. So they uh, took the children in and put them in protective custody, and then they uh, arrested the two finders on uh, multiple charges of child abuse. And there was child pornography in the van, from what I understand, and uh, so they brought in the U.S. Customs Service. So the U.S. Customs Service started to investigate this, and they contacted D.C. police, uh, D.C. Metropolitan Police, um, because the finders basically had a couple of warehouses in Washington, D.C. And, um, and the D.C. police said that they were looking at, they were also looking into the finders for an unsolved murder. And they'd had a, an informant said that, uh, that the finders were performing quote unquote blood rituals with children. So the U.S. Customs report 
or the U.S. Customs Service and the Tallahassee Police Department and then the D.C. Metro Police, um, it was kind of a multi-agency investigation into the finders, and they served a search warrant on the finders and um, on the on the uh, on the two uh, warehouses in uh, downtown D.C. And they found a lot of really shocking uh, information, and actually uh, a lot of pictures of child pornography. And um, there was a full core press by law enforcement to really find out what what the finders were about. And then all of a sudden the CIA came in and they completely squashed the entire investigation. And uh, and I was thinking to myself uh, when I read it uh, that Buffalo Springfield uh, line, for what it's worth, uh, came to mind. Um, there's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. I was wondering, you know, why is the CIA squashing an investigation into a cult that is obviously doing very strange things to children and most likely abusive things to children? So that started me uh, looking for other occurrences of this phenomena around the country. And uh, ultimately, that led me to Nebraska. And uh, and on the Internet, there's a tremendous amount of information on Franklin. Uh, a lot of it is wrong, unfortunately. But um, I went to Nebraska, uh, started to look into it. Um, a lot of people were very frightened to talk to me about uh, about it. And, um, and actually, I had a death threat. And uh, that kind of sealed the deal for me as far as... Uh, the authenticity of the story whenever someone gives you a death threat. Um, there's generally something there. There's something that, 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 that needs to be hidden. And um, so that was, I mean, I'd heard a lot of things while I was in Nebraska the first time. I, I've been there 14 times. But I'd heard a lot of, uh, when I was there the first time, I'd talked to people that were uh, affiliated with the uh, pedophile network that I would eventually end up writing the Franklin scandal about. And um, and I had a tendency to believe a lot of what they were telling me. But then the death threat kind of sanctified it for me that it was real. And Nick, regarding the, the death threat, uh, just when you got there, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, you had an encounter with the police. You were stopped. You... Well, actually, that was downstream. I'd been uh, working okay. on Franklin for about uh, two and a half years at that point, and I was with uh, one of the uh, photographers of the pedophile network. And no, uh, I was hoping that he would find... Uh, he said that he had had, had some pictures stashed, because uh, I was really having a very hard time getting publishers to believe this. And, um, I mean, it's such an incomprehensible story about the federal government, or at least a corrupt subgenus within the federal government, aiding and abetting child trafficking. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it requires a paradigm shift. And, uh, and I, was, I was just running into uh, like a tsunami of skepticism and cynicism um, when I was pitching this story. So although this photographer was shifty, and um, I, I think that he doesn't have a, you know, an extremely highly developed moral barometer. Um, I thought I'd give it a shot, and uh, he took me on a wild goose chase for pictures, and uh, it resulted in in basically a nothing sandwich. But uh, when I was giving him a ride back to his place, um, we were pulled over, and I was put into a Nebraska State Patrol car, 
and then my uh, my rental car was completely ripped apart. The uh, the the officer actually made me uh, kind of a Vito Corleone offer I couldn't refuse. He said they could search it on the spot, or they could in, uh, arrest us, impound the vehicle, and then search it. So right. I mean, <laughs> I just said, knock yourself out, search it. And I'm very glad that at that point that we did not get any photographs. What they? Why did they stop you? And and because there were more than one patrol cars there afterwards. Uh, what? Why did they stop you? And what happened afterwards? What, what was uh, what was my uh, offense? Why yes. I was pulled over? I was doing seventy and a sixty-five <laughs> for the uh, egregious offense of doing seventy and a sixty-five. I was. Did they know it was Nick Bryan who was driving before they stopped you? You you perceive? Um, that's difficult to know. Um, here's what I can tell you is that uh, I got pulled over. I handed him my driver's license and the documentation for the rental vehicle, and the officer just gave it like a cursory glance. Uh, he just, I mean, didn't study it, nothing, and escorted me right into a squad car. And that has never happened to me before. So um, usually uh, they write you a ticket for going 70 and a 65 or whatever. They don't take a look at your documentation and then immediately escort you uh, into a squad car. That That's never happened to me before. I was wearing uh, a Joe Boxer t-shirt, uh, khaki shorts, and uh, Nike Super Air Max. So I, you know, I looked like the archetypical uh, upstanding citizen. Right. And, uh, I mean, I think I looked like a pretty average guy. So um, I was uh, I was a little perplexed. But given the nature of this story, uh, the Nebraska State Patrol is very dirty in the cover-up of the story. They aided and abetted the FBI um, when covering up the story. So, um, and, and certainly by that point in the investigation, I knew that the Nebraska State Patrol was very dirty. So... Um, What happened to me, um, although it was very frightening, uh, it wasn't surprising. And later in the show, we'll talk about the upward mobility factor here, the scratch my back, scratch your back of the, you know, several entities in the local government in order to cover this up. But let's talk about one person and one institution that are in the epicenter of this story, the Franklin Federal Credit Union and Larry King, not to be confused with CNN's Larry King. Tell us more about that and their political connection and his political connections. Lawrence E. King uh, was born in a uh, blue-collar family in Omaha, Nebraska, a relatively lower socioeconomic family. And uh, he distinguished himself as a singer, um, when he was in high school, and uh, he seemingly came from a relatively normal family, and um, he went into the uh, army or the air force uh, when the Vietnam War was raging. And uh, from what I understand, he was stationed in Thailand. Uh, he was given, uh, uh, according to him, top security clearances, and uh, he, when he got out of uh, the services. He went to work at a bank in Omaha 
And then at a certain point, uh, within a couple of years of him returning from the services, he was uh, appointed the manager of the Franklin Credit Union, which was originally designed to give loans to lower socioeconomic uh, people in North Omaha's. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, Subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.